0: All right. nine-year-old Joey was asked by his mother, what do you learn in Sunday school? And his answer was this, Well, Mom, our teacher told us how God sent Moses behind enemy lines on a rescue mission to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. When he got to the Red Sea, he had his army build a pontoon bridge and all the people walked across him safely. Then, he radioed headquarters for reinforcements. And they sent bombers to blow up the bridge and all the Israelites were saved. Now, Joey, is that really what your teacher taught you, his mother asked? Well, no, Mom, but if I told you the way the teacher did, you'd never believe me.
1: <laughs>
0: there, are, there are parts of the Bible that sound incredible. That, that some say unbelievable. And, and they have said it's just simply a myth. And, and it's a collection of fables and stories. And yet that's not the case. I find it interesting that so many ancient cultures all have a flood account in them. In fact, it's interesting, we have all these fossil records of dinosaurs, and yet they all agree that something dramatic, something climatic happened in all at one moment, but they don't know what it was. Well, it could have been a flood? Well, a flood would have done that, but it can't have been a flood, because that would have verified the scriptures. And so it's it's the Bible is 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 not just a book of imaginations and storytelling. It's the Word of God. It's God's message to you and I. A message that He has written through forty different authors over a time frame of fifteen hundred years. That completely agrees with itself. I I remember having this discussion with one guy, and he he and I was saying that do you realize that forty different authors, or fifteen hundred years, wrote the book? That basically, you know, Moses starts it, he re- writes it, and then he stops, and somebody else came and picked up the pen and kept writing other books, and then they stopped, and then someone else did, and on and on and on went, and, and they all wrote one story. That is in complete agreement with itself. How? What are the odds of that? And he goes, "Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think that's all it is. The, the, one guy wrote a story, another guy wrote another part of the story, and they all made it up. It doesn't work that way. It's an incredible book. It's the Word of God. But here's the thing. This is this is so important. It's just simply a book." There's there's no power in this book. Jesus said that. He said to his to in John chapter five, he said to the Pharisees, You search the scriptures looking for life, but you don't find it. Because the Scriptures point to me, he says. He's the life. And, and don't fall into the trap that others have fallen into before of worshiping the Bible. I had a Jewish friend when I was in, in grade school, and he said to me one time, he knew I was a Christian, he said, When we drop our scriptures on the ground, we have to fast for one week. What do you have to do? I said, We pick it up.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, it's simply a book. It's the greatest book ever, written by God, no mistake. But there isn't power in the book itself. It's in the one it points to, which is Jesus. Yeah. And so what we want to do is, you know, we study the Word, we continue to read the Word, and we're going, to, we're going to do that this morning, continuing on, but are there to reveal Him, reveal His life. So this morning we're going to continue on, and the verse we're going to start with now is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 18. Here Paul says the word of the cross or the, the, the message of the, co- the cross. In the verse before he's referring to the gospel and so we can understand that the gospel, the word or the message, the teaching on the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Notice the tense on the word Being. Is it past tense? Is it future tense? Or is it present tense? It's present tense. Paul's not talking about when you were saved. He's not talking about that day you go into the sweet by and by. The future. He's talking about right here, right now, today. Because each and every one of us needs to be saved today. Not saved all over again in terms of becoming a child of God, but saved from whatever this world throws at me. Saved from whatever I'm dealing with. Whatever struggles I'm up against. You and I need to be saved today, right now. And the power of God by which we are being saved is found where? In the teachings of the cross which tells me that we need, to be, we need to be really clear in understanding what transpired on the cross. What did God accomplish on that cross? We need to understand that. So let's take some moment and, and, and recognize the salvation that came. But to start with, I think we need to understand the need for salvation. Because sometimes, you know, that's the stumbling block. People don't even realize they need to be saved in the first place. Do you realize that was the point of the Sermon on the Mount? I've heard so many, you know, discussions and messages on the Sermon on the Mount being the model for the Christian life. Well, let's explore that. Let's examine that for a little bit. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, you're to what? Pluck it out. And if your hand causes you to sin, you're to what? Cut it off. off. By extension, he didn't say it, but by extension, if your tongue were to cause you to sin, what are we to do? Cut it off, right? So if the Sermon on the Mount was the model for New Covenant Christianity, then the church ought to to look like an amputee ward, wouldn't it not? Where some of you would have no arms, no legs, because you've been kicking people. You'd have no eyes, you most certainly would have no tongues, because I know what some people say. Right? I mean, you'd have no brain, probably, really, right? I mean, we would just be cut up. That wasn't what Jesus was getting at. What Jesus was trying to say to them in the Sermon on the Mount was, "If you think that you can be saved by your hard work, well let me tell you the standard. You see those Pharisees over there, the ones you're struggling to keep up with? they're not even close. You've got to surpass them. You see, you've heard it said, "Don't murder," but I say to you, "Don't even hate," because if you have any hate in your heart, you're already guilty of murder. You've heard it preached, "Don't commit adultery," but what do I what do I say? The, Don't even think about it. Don't even lust after another person because you're guilty of it. So what Jesus was doing was he was taking the standard that they had lowered, thinking if I can just be good enough smart enough, clean enough, and smell good enough, I'll be okay. And he raised it up so high and he said, you need to be perfect. As perfect as my Heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5.48. See, the Sermon on the Mount was simply meant to convict every single one of us. How many people here have murdered anybody? How many people have hated anybody? Right? How many people here have ever told a little white lie? Have ever stolen? Have ever lusted after anyone? Or, or looked at anything and with any kind of malintent? Or even thought about a sin? Because that's what coveting is, right? You even think about it. You're already guilty. So what the Sermon on the Mount, what the law was meant to do was to expose each and every one of us in the desperate need for forgiveness, for salvation. The desperate spot that all of us were in. And you couldn't fix it. You couldn't redeem yourself because the moment you blew it, the moment you made one sin, your whole record is ruined. Because God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass-sale. And it's either 100% or it's zero. That's the standard. Well, what chance do we have? None. And that was what Jesus was trying to get across to everyone. So where do we find salvation? Well, Romans 5.8 says, But God. And I love these two words. I think but God is the two most powerful words in the English language. Because everything flips and hinges on the word but. Have you ever noticed that? That you could be saying one thing and then the word but comes in and it's suddenly very different. For example, Richard is a wonderful man. He's so kind and gentle, but he annoys me. What do I really think about Richard now? Yeah. You know him, do you? (laughs) So, so the word but is like it, it's, you're going one direction, all of a sudden, 180 degrees the other way. Well, that's the word butt, but this isn't anyone's butt. This is God's butt. And God has a big butt. I don't know if you knew that or not, but his butt is huge. You won't forget this, right? His butt's so big, it says, but God demonstrates his own love. He proves His love. He displays, He shows His love to us in that while we were yet sinners, when we were enemies, when we were spitting on Him, when we were against Him, when we were cursing His name, when we had no love for Him, He died for you and I. It wasn't after you got your life together, when you cleaned up your act, when you got serious about things, when you stopped doing this sin, when you deserved His love. Because that's not how it works with grace. It's not how it works with Jesus. While you were still messed up, He died for us. Well, why? Well, that in Ephesians 1, 7 so that in Him, we could have redemption. We could be redeemed through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace. Do you realize every single one of your sins have been dealt with? Every one of your sins, not just the ones you have committed, but even the ones you will commit, have already been paid for. Amen? I mean, that's incredible to me. That's amazing, isn't it? Because we got a lot of sin, don't we? And He's already taken care of it all. And you, are, you and I are now forgiven. Which means nothing is held against you anymore. All your sins are gone. So what do we do with all that then? Well, we confess. And confess simply means to agree. That's all it means. It's not saying you now need to go and do something. It's just simply I agree. So what am I confessing? I'm confessing first that I'm a sinner. That I have blown it. That I have made mistakes and 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 all this I can't save myself from. that no amount of hard work, no amount of dedication and recommitment and, and clean living from here on in can ever fix the sins that I've done. But fortunately, Jesus died for me. Fortunately, He's forgiven me. Fortunately, because of what He has accomplished, all of my sin has been taken care of. And so now... What's my role? What's my part? What's my role? I simply now need to receive it. To accept this gift. And that's the moment of salvation. Amen? And I hope all of us in the room have, have understood this. And have, have decided to receive, to let Jesus in because He's been knocking at your door. But now what? You see, is that all we needed was to be forgiven? So what Ricardo was talking about, is it, is it simply enough to be a forgiven sinner? Well, let me, let me give you an illustration. How many people know who Paul Bernardo is? You've heard of him, right? Uh, unfortunately, we know who Paul Bernardo is. He was uh, probably going on now 25 years or so now, uh, down in the St. Catharines area. He and his wife, Carla Homolka, were involved in some horrific crimes. They, they abducted some young women, uh, brutally assaulted and raped them, and then eventually murdered them. And he was eventually caught, and both of them spent time in prison. Well, Paul Bernardo's still in prison and will likely, hopefully, be there for the rest of his life. Well, I want you to imagine that in Ontario we had the death penalty. And candidate number one for the death penalty would be Paul Bernardo due to the, the heinous nature of his crime. And, and so he's on death row waiting for the uh, lethal injection or however they're going to administer the death. And he's launching appeal after appeal. And while he's there, an older gentleman comes and begins to visit with Paul Bernardo. And, and he gets to know Paul and he spends a lot of time with him. And he, he knows what he's done. He's not deceived and pretending that Paul Bernardo didn't do all those things. That he's not a murderer and a rapist and so forth, but that he is, he knows what he's done, but he, he genuinely loves him. And he begins to think, you know, Paul Bernardo, he spent a lot of time in prison, and he's still got a long time ahead of him to go, and, and he's relatively a young man still, and I'm an old guy. I've, I've lived my life, and, and when I die, no one's going to miss me. My family's gone, my friends are gone. I wish I could do something for him to show him my love. I know. What if I, what if I die in His place? What if I take His punishment onto myself? Well, that's what I'm going to do. So he goes and he talks to the, to the, the judge and the crown attorney and, and they're kind of in shock over this. They never thought anyone would want to do this, but the way the law was constructed, it's legal and so they say, okay, you, you can take His place. So no more appeals. The day of the execution comes and into the execution chamber they bring the old man now. And Paul Bernardo is now in the observation room. And he's witnessing this man who's innocent dying for his sin, his mistakes. And and he looks at the old man, the old man looks at Paul and he says, Paul, I love you. And I'm doing this for you. Well, he, he's... You know, doesn't know what to do. Do you think there might be some tears in Paul Bernardo's eyes? I hope so. I hope he's moved by this this supreme gesture of love. Well, sure enough, they execute the old man, and they look over at Paul Bernardo, and they say, "What? Free, to go. Free to go? Are there any conditions? Is he on probation? No." Because his entire punishment has been paid by the old man. He has now been released from that punishment. He's been released from his sin. And he's free to go. Well, I tell you that story to ask you the one simple question Paul Bernardo is a free man. He's got to find somewhere to live now. Anyone want Paul Bernardo to be their neighbor? Think about it. Think about it. You guys can have him over for Thanksgiving next month. Wouldn't that be great? Maybe maybe you can have more for Christmas and and you know, he's single lady. Maybe if there any single ladies out there, or if you know any single lady, maybe your daughters, he can date them. Maybe, maybe he can just babysit while you and your wife go on a trip. Anyone want Paul Bernardo as your neighbor? What do you think? Why not? Why not? I mean, his his punishment's been paid for. Why don't you want him? to go and take your daughter on a date. Because he hasn't changed. He's still what? He's still a murderer. He's still a rapist. He's still Paul Bernardo on the inside. And the problem with Paul wasn't what he did, but who he is. Amen? Amen. Well, here's the, the gut-honest truth. There's no difference between you and I and, and Paul Bernardo before we knew Jesus. You might, well, hold on. I'm the murderer. What did Jesus say on the Sermon on the Mount? If you've hated anybody, if you've lusted after anybody, the only difference between us and Paul Bernardo before we knew Jesus is he acted on what was in our heart. The problem isn't what we do, it's who we were. And so God needed to do more than just forgive us. Because if all I am is just a forgiven sinner, what am I going to do? I'm going to go live like a, like a forgiven sinner. And they do what? They just sin, sin, sin. Because there's no difference. Just like Paul Bernardo left out, led out of jail hasn't changed. So God, understanding this, does something far more. Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. Do you see it there? It doesn't say that Christ was crucified for me. It says I, the old Ross, was crucified with Christ. That you and I were placed on that cross. I don't know if you've ever pictured Calvary in your mind, right? You got the three crosses, you got Jesus, the two thieves on either side, you got the Roman uh, guards and the soldiers, and they're they're gambling over his underwear, and there's. Sneering at him and mocking him and you've got all the proud Pharisees all excited with themselves with what they've accomplished you've got the crowd mocking you I mean this is a crowd that came to see people die a slow torturous death you even got Mary and Mary and Mary and John and, and they're all watching all this where are you? Are you with the Roman guards and soldiers? Are you with the Pharisees? Are you with Mary, Mary, Mary and John? Or are you on on the cross? Well, the Word of God, the same Word of God that told us that Jesus died for our sins tells us, you died. That you were crucified with Christ. In Romans 6, it says you were buried with Him. The old you is gone forever. It's no longer I, that dirty, rotten old sinner. But now Christ lives in me, the new creation. You and I became fundamentally different on that cross. Not just as if, not just illustration-wise. In actual fact, we became someone new, so that I didn't have to live like the old me. I can now live as a new person who has been indwelt with who Jesus Christ. See, that's the power of the cross. And and I share this with people, and and the response I get sometimes is that. I, I just don't know if that's true. I don't feel dead. My actions don't tell me I'm dead because I still sin and make mistakes. I I just don't know if I can believe it. Well, we believe a lot of incredible things, do we not? We believe Genesis that God is the creator, that we didn't just, you know, happen to be here because some kind of bang happened and over billions of years, random evolution produ- produced humanity. Right? We believe in God as a Creator. We believe that there was a flood. We believe that, that God split the Red Sea and let the people cross. We believe that God Himself came as a man. That He, he died and went to hell and rose again and then ascended up to heaven 40 days later. Well, there's one other thing that Scripture tells us. Is that on that cross, spiritually, you were crucified with Christ. So that you could become a new person, a brand new creation, who can live in and from the life of Jesus. And that's foolishness to some. But they're perishing. But to us who are being saved, to us who are finding victory and finding hope and finding peace and are are growing on this journey of, of sanctification, we've discovered that this truth of my union with Christ on that cross, it's the power of God that is saving me today. And it starts with knowing this truth. Because if I don't know this then how else will I try to reform the sinner? Right? Because if I don't know the sinner is dead and gone what will I believe? He's still alive. So let me illustrate what that (coughs) kind of looks like with a really silly illustration. So (coughs) shepherds what do shepherds look after? Sheep. What's the mortal enemy of all sheep and therefore the shepherd? Wolves. Why? What do wolves do? Eat sheep. Why do wolves eat sheep? They're
1: hungry.
0: But why sheep? They
1: taste good. They're easy
0: prey. Because that's the way wolves are wired. It's their nature, right? I mean, yeah, wolf, you know, sheep are easy, but grass is easier. But they don't eat grass, right? They are wired to eat sheep. That's who they are. That's their nature, right? So I want you to imagine now this shepherd is walking down this path. He's got his whole flock behind him and he comes across this wolf that was attacked by the other pack of wolves and they left this wolf for dead. He's bloodied and beaten and wounded and he's on the side of the road about to die when this shepherd sees him. Now this shepherd is, you've got to understand, he's a loving shepherd. He can't, He can't just let the wolf die. It's against his nature and his heart. So he he scoops the wolf up in his arms and he brings the wolf home and he begins to care for and and nurse and rescue the wolf. Well now, you know, the wolf is getting healthier and stronger and coming back and but now the shepherd's got a problem because you see, in doing so the shepherd generally loves the wolf. And he doesn't want to send the wolf away. But what do wolves do? and he's got a lot of them and so he thinks I, I can't have him eat my flock because I've got to protect my flock but I can't bear to lose my wolf and so he thinks I'm going to reform the wolf I have to, I'm going to fix the wolf that's what I'm going to do and so he, he pulled the wolf aside and he, and he kind of grabs the wolf buries his hands on either side of the wolf's face and he pulls it close eyeball to eyeball nose to nose sort of idea and he's looking at this wolf and this wolf loves the shepherd he knows what the shepherd's done for him so he's looking at the shepherd listening intently and he says now wolf I love you and I don't want to send you away so I'm going to keep you but, but I can't have you eating the sheep so we're going to have some new rules rule number one don't eat the sheep okay but the shepherd's smart. He knows you can't just give them a rule. You can't just tell them, you know, this is what you don't do. You got to give them a reason, right? So rule number one, don't eat the sheep. Why? Because they don't like it. I mean, really, who likes having their kidneys ripped out of them by, by teeth? They just don't do it, okay? They, they don't enjoy being eaten, all right? So rule number one, don't eat the sheep. But he also knows it's not enough to give them a don't. You have to also give them a do, Right? So don't eat the sheep. Do eat grass. And the reason, because you need a reason, is it will help lower your cholesterol. You'll sleep better at night. You'll lose some weight, which you can use. I mean, your fur will be shinier. Your bowel movements will be more regular. So you will benefit, you know, heart-healthy consciousness, you will benefit by eating grass, right? So rule number one, because they don't like it. Rule number two, Eat grass because you'll be healthier, right? So those are the simple rules. This wolf, loving the shepherd, what is he, de- what is he determined to do? I'm going to follow these rules. Because of my love for you, I commit to doing my best for this. Well, the shepherd turns his back and the wolf sees the sheep and what does he do? He eats the sheep. Why? It's his nature. He's a wolf. It's who he is, right? He can't help himself. Well, the shepherd sees the damage when he's done and the wolf realizes it and he's, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so, I don't know what came over me. Give me another chance. I'm determined to does his best. I don't know if it's puppy wolf or puppy dog eyes looking at this, this shepherd and the shepherd says, I forgive you. I love you. But we can't have you eating the sheep because they don't like it, right? So he says, all right, I know what we need to do. You don't look like the other sheep. You don't act like the other sheep. That's what we need to do. We need to get you to look and act like the other sheep. So he, he takes the wolf and he, he trims his tail and he, he, he gives him a really bad perm and so it's all curly hair now and he, he, he throws some white powder on him so he looks a little bit whitish and he, he begins to teach the wolf how to talk like the other sheep. And, and it's not too bad. You can, you know, you can hear an accent. Right? I mean, it, You know he's not natural, right? You know it's not his first language. But you can understand it for the most part, right? And um, and so he kind of looks like an ugly sheep, but he looks like a sheep from a distance if you squint. And and then he sounds kind of like the other sheep, and then he reminds them of the rules. Shepherd turns his back. What does the wolf do? Why? So he is right. Shepherd's not done yet. He's determined. He thinks I know what we need to do. And he he pulls the wolf aside and he gives him a bracelet. And the bracelet says four letters, W-W-L-D. What would Lamb Chop do? (laughs) And he says, okay, now, every time you are tempted to eat a sheep, I want you to stop and to think, what would Lamb Chop do? And whatever you think Lamb Chop would do, then you go and do it. Alright. Okay. Determined, dedicated, sure enough. Sees a sheep. What does he begin to do? Go after the sheep. Seize the bracelets. And he thinks, wait a minute. What would lamb chop do? What would lamb chop do? What would lamb chop taste like with a little apple sauce, Maybe some potatoes. And what does he end up doing? Has lamb chop, right? He eats them. Why? To nature. The shepherd is determined though. He he does not give up easily. He's stubborn and he thinks I know what we need. We need a group of other sheep to hold you accountable to the rules. To remind you of those rules. To, to make sure you're on track and you're not breaking the rules. And so these other sheep, they, when you're feeling tempted, you get them around you and they will, they will talk to you. They will encourage you. They will pray over you. They'll sing songs. They'll read to you from this special book called The Shepherd's Guide. They will, they will make sure to keep you on the right track. So sure enough, Wolf gets tempted, gets his accountability group together, they're praying, they're talking to him, they're encouraging him, they're reading from the book, and what does Wolf do? And all you can eat buffet. Right? He eats his accountability group. Why? What's the problem? His nature. Do you see? You cannot reform the wolf. Because the problem is he is a wolf. wolf. It's his nature. It's who he is. And no amount of work and dedication and forgiveness is going to change that. So the shepherd realizes this. And he's okay, i gotta, I got to go real drastic here. And he takes his perfect lamb. He takes the wolf. And he grabs this needle. And this needle when He sticks it into the lamb, it doesn't draw blood out, it draws the life out. And all the life of that lamb comes out. What happens to the lamb? Falls down dead. Then He takes another needle and He sticks it into the wolf and He pulls all the wolf life out of the wolf. What happens to the wolf? Falls down dead. He buries that needle. He destroys that needle. That needle of wolf life is gone forever. And then He takes the needle full of lamb life and He puts half of it back into the lamb. And what happens? It comes back to life. With what kind of life? Lamb life. And then He takes the other half and He puts it into the wolf. And what happens to the wolf? It comes back to life, but with what kind of life now? Lamb life. It's something different now. It's got a new life inside of it. So now, when it sees the sheep, what does it do? yeah it acts like a sheep you see a wolf in lamb's clothing is still what but a lamb in wolf's clothing is now a lamb do you see that's what God's done with you and I see where did I get all the other rules the other, other ways of reforming the wolf from Who's tried that? Isn't that what we hear in church often? That if you just follow the rules, if you could just act like so-and-so and live like them, if you could just try to you know, imitate Jesus and follow Him, or if you had enough people around you to support you and encourage you, then everything would be fine. That's not where our answers lie. That's not the power of God. The power of God is the cross. Where what He did is He took the wolf life out of you and I. He took the murderer, the adulterer, the liar, the thief, the coveter, and He got rid of that person on that cross, crucified them, buried them, and raised you up as a new person. A new person that contains who? Jesus Christ. Him inside of you and I. You're now a lamb. Here's the problem though with our our story now. That wolf, he walks by to get a drink and he comes up to the river and he, he looks into the river and what does he see? A wolf with a bad perm, right? What might he be tempted to think? I'm just still a wolf. And if I'm still a wolf, what will I do? I'll act like a wolf. What does he need to remember? The wolf died. And I, I may look like that wolf, but I am not that wolf anymore. I now have the life of the lamb. When you and I get up in the morning and we go look in that mirror, who do we see? We see someone who resembles the old self. Right? They got the same body. The same shape, same eyeballs, right? Less hair in my case, but nonetheless, we see that person. And we are tempted to think, I'm still the old me. What do I need to remember? I've got to remember that God's done something. That I've been crucified and buried. And so what I can do now is I have another confession to make. Confess that I'm the problem. That before I knew Jesus, it it wasn't just what I did, it was who I was. And that there's no redeeming that person. There's no rescuing, no fixing that person. But that wasn't God's plan. He wasn't trying to reform you. He wanted to exchange you. He crucified you and I with Jesus. Now the question is, do we accept this gift by faith? Will we believe it? Or will we be like those in 1 Corinthians 1.18 who can't wrap our minds around it and therefore it feels foolishness to us? Well to though I know many Christians who are perishing because either they don't know or don't believe that they are in fact someone new and different. And they end up fighting someone that doesn't exist anymore. And so what can happen is I begin to accept and believe this truth I can begin to tap into a power here's Romans 5.10 this is the amplified version so I'll read it really loud for if while we were enemies while we were sinners we were reconciled redeemed to God by the death of His Son well there's more there's much more it's much more certain now that we've been reconciled now that we've been redeemed that we shall be saved right here, right now, today, daily delivered from sin's domain, from everything that this world, sin and Satan can throw at you. Be it your present circumstances, be it your past, be it your future worries and concerns. We can all be saved in and through all those, those scenarios. How? Through His resurrection life. By trusting in Jesus Christ living live in and through us. And as we trust in him more and more bit by bit our faith in him grows the fruit of the spirit begins to come out more often and our our healing process that sanctification moves further along the road Amen 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 All right